Hi everyone, I'm David Blindauer, and welcome to Conversation with a Manager, Stories from the Frontline. Our podcast is dedicated to the proposition that managers, particularly frontline managers, are key to an organization's success. This podcast is also in search of the best advice and counsel from experienced managers for anyone new to the role of manager. Today's guest is J.D. Cox. J.D. is the Director of Safety and Loss Control with the North Central Electric Cooperative. This is a roughly 35,000-member cooperative in the northern part of the state of Mississippi. Prior to his work with the co-op, J.D. worked with the largest three-service municipal water, gas, and electricity utility in the U.S. located in Memphis, Tennessee, both as a lineman as well as a supervisor and manager. Today's host is Steve King. Here's Steve with some initial thoughts about his conversation with J.D. Hey, thanks, David, and hi to everybody, and thanks for joining us. One of the goals of our podcast is to hear from managers from a variety of different industries. Not that managing people is really that much different from industry to industry, but sometimes context matters. As you heard from David, today's guest is J.D. Cox, who comes to us from the world of electrical co-ops. Cooperatives and co-ops are really quite different kinds of businesses than the kinds of businesses we've heard from in other podcasts so far this season and in the first season. J.D. and I covered a lot of ground in our hour together. There was so much good stuff in that conversation. I expect that at the end of this second season, when it's over, we'll be hearing a lot of bonus material from J.D. Our segment today is on the topic of the caring manager. As you'll hear at the beginning of the interview, the overarching topic is emotional intelligence, which we'll touch on again near the end of the interview as well. But we quickly honed in on the importance and the value of a manager authentically caring about others. So sit back and enjoy the conversation, and we'll catch you on the flip side. Uh, there's one aspect of emotional intelligence that I think is a key marker in your development from being a novice to proficient. And that is when you understand that it's not about you. When you understand that you can have a conversation with someone and they're coming to you for information or they're coming to you for whatever the issue is, they're not coming to you to hear about you. It's not about you. And it is, it is the discipline that you acquire in conversations that you show people that you understand through the way you look at them, through your body language, through the, through the space that you keep between you and them, that you're genuinely interested in what they say. You're not looking at your watch. You're not looking down at your phone. You're showing them that, look, I'm going to invest my time, this conversation, and through my actions, and what I say, I'm going to prove that I understand this conversation is not about me. So you, so before you and I even was, we sat down ahead of time virtually and talked about how we're going to have this conversation today. Mm -hmm. uh, you had said that you want to talk about emotional intelligence and we're going to go there now. And actually, when you were preparing me to interview you, you actually used a phrase. And the phrase was, no one cares how much you know until they know how much you care, which I thought was a beautiful little phrase. And I think that's your, I think you're kind of poking at that right now. So 
Can you tell me what you mean by the phrase? I'm going to repeat it again. No one cares how much you know until they know how much you care. Well, what do you mean by that phrase? In whatever your role is, whether it's a cooperative, some other type of business or company, I don't think it matters. If you are completely satisfied with the situation, if, if the company is running perfectly and everything is great and all the numbers are perfect, then that saying probably doesn't mean a lot. But when you're in a situation and you realize that things need to change, things have to change, the only way that I have ever effectively found a way to to make genuine, effective change in a reasonable amount of time is I had to show people that I cared about them and wasn't about me. Mm. And irregardless if the issue is a safety issue, if it is a business issue, if it, it, if it doesn't matter what issue, if you can convince a group of people that you genuinely care about them and the people that ride in the back seat of their car. You can move mountains. You can do anything. And this is what I mean about the people in your back seat. I heard this from Dr. Charlie Cartwright. The most valuable cargo that any of us have are our children and grandchildren and family members that are riding around in the back of our car. Mm. If you want to show people that you genuinely care about them, get to know the people in the back of those cars. Get to know their name. And you can't do that once a year at an employee meeting while you're giving them a hot dog. You've got to go around as best you can and genuinely invest your time in people and show them that you care. And, and I just believe that once you do that, where that saying comes from was Teddy Roosevelt. He was running for president, and of course, we didn't have mass media and all of that. He was going around the country on train, and when he would stop, that was the point he was trying to get across. Is listen, you know, people are going to promise you a lot of things. People are going to tell you a lot of things, but unless people make you believe or get you to believe that they genuinely care about the circumstance you're in or where you're at or where you're going, and understand that. I know that you're never going to believe them. So the word care, because that's the phrase, you use that word as part of the hook phrase. And um, I see the word caring a little bit like I see the word compassion or integrity. And these are words that really only come alive when we see a behavior consistent with them. So if I use the word compassion, I know someone's compassion because they behave compassionately. They show the certain behaviors they display going, oh, those are behaviors I associate with being compassionate. What behaviors do you associate with, with showing caring? So you know someone's caring when they display these behaviors. What behaviors might you use as examples of that? There, there's great things to me that when I'm speaking to a person, I try to show them. I try to live it. I try to set the example. And I watch other leaders do it as well. And it's these three things. When someone is talking to you about something that is important to them, remember, it's not about you. Be slow to speak, slow to aim, and quick to listen. I love the phrase. You unpack that for me. If you can be 
and 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 I and I say it in different words sometimes, but if you can be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger, and you practice that every day, people see it. It it, it is a tangible that people can see that doesn't have to be talked about. It's not going to be on a spreadsheet. It's not something that people can categorize. But when you walk by, people say, if you've got an issue and you really want somebody to listen to you that is interested in you, that's your mate. That's your brother. That's your person. Does it, does it cut both ways? And what I mean by that is the way you're talking about it is the manager shows care. Do you also look for the same behavior or responsive behavior from the person you're talking to? Not about caring about you per se, but caring about the job or caring about the customer. So I want to flip it a little bit. Do you, do you see the flip also is true? I expect it. Because in order to see it, as leaders, we have to set what the expectation is, right? And then we have to continuously on a daily basis support what we expect by our own action. So that's the way that, that I'm going to interact with people that I work with. And I expect them to see that as an example is how they should treat not just members, but one another on the job, our members, our contractors, because um, they're, 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 in my mind, there's no room for anything else, because if you're not doing that, you're not going to be. Yeah. And, and in order to accomplish a goal, in order to change things, you have to be able to move people. And if you can't move people, you may be an effective manager, but you'll never be an effective leader if you can't move. So there's a debate that goes on in academic circles, you know, not circles you and I live in, but circles elsewhere where they want to debate. What might be more important to a leader, being um, deeply emotionally intelligent or being really, really smart, uh, you know, cognitive IQ kind of stuff? Yeah. So if, if, if you had to put your money down on a little bit more of one rather than the other, would you put your money down on, I'd rather see a little bit more emotional intelligence and I'll take some solid IQ or does it got to be super smart and a little bit of emotional intelligence? And with me, I'm going to go with emotion. I think both are important. Yep. I think I'm always going to give the edge to emotional intelligence because I believe someone who is a good leader is going to have good emotional intelligence skills and is and and is smart enough to understand where their weakness is and surround them with good people that will shore up where their weakness may be. I mean, very rarely are you going to find a person that checks all the box but to me if you because my ceo said something to me one day and i will never forget this he said jd he said if you think that i think i'm always the smartest person in the room you're wrong and i've never forgotten that but it supports my idea that if you have a person it is genuinely intelligent but has good emotional intelligence skills then that person is smart enough to understand where their weaknesses are 
and where they need to hire and support those weaknesses. But again, you have to be able to move people, including your immediate staff. The people that you get to support your weakness, you have to be able to move those people. This podcast is supported by NRECA, the National Trade Association representing America's electric cooperatives. NRECA's broad range of products and services include a robust portfolio of leadership programs that provide learners with the knowledge, skills, and resources they need to lead at all levels of their co-op and succeed in today's rapidly changing electric utility industry. Visit cooperative.com learning to explore the value of learning with NRECA. And we're back here with Steve. Steve loved this conversation with J.D. There was a lot of wisdom in what J.D. had to say. What did you pick out that you'd like to expand upon? There are three things J.D. emphasized that I'd love to comment on. Listening as the key behavior that shows you care. A reminder that those we work with have priorities that transcend work priorities. And these personal priorities should matter to the manager. And finally, the value of a pithy catchphrase. Okay, so let's start with listening. When I asked J.D. what behavior best informs a caring manager, he leaned into a kind of a biblical reference. Be slow to speak, slow to anger, and quick to listen. And in particular, be quick to listen to what clearly matters to your team members. Managers direct performance, so there's going to be a lot of managers speaking moments. And some of those speaking moments will display caring like giving someone some assurance when something did not go well. What J.D.'s talking about is taking interest in what matters to someone else. And the best way to find out what matters is to ask and really listen. That simple formula is the gateway to caring. I know that listening is not everyone's strong suit. Some of us like the sounds of our own voices just a little too much. And if you're one of those folks, I have a suggestion for you. Get yourself a copy of Kate Murphy's book, you're not listening, what you're missing, and why it matters. It is a great resource for building listening skills. So I recall from J.D. mentioning in the interview that some of the most precious cargo we have is in the back of our cars. And, you know, it's his metaphor for suggesting that we have to care about our team members as people with priorities outside of work. Do you agree with him? I think J.D. is challenging any notion we can or should have about keeping work and life separate. His thesis is actually pretty simple. If you want to build a team that will move mountains, you have to show them that you care. And caring includes caring about those in the backseat of their cars. I don't think he's suggesting that a manager insert themselves into the personal lives of their team members. But he is suggesting that a manager should not lose track of what's really important to most team members, and that is their families, their friends, and their communities. And the manager does this with a simple first step, asking, listening, and taking interest. I know that it does not come naturally to all managers, but the payoff for both parties is huge. I can tell you on a personal note, there have been many times in my career where my manager taking interest in what's going on in my personal life, particularly during some tough times, made a difference and strengthen our relationship. And JD's right. 
for those managers, I was willing to go the extra mile. And what about those pithy catchphrases? Hey, whether you call these catchphrases or mottos or mantras, they serve a purpose for managers. They keep us centered on what's important, on what needs to be done, particularly in difficult situations. Here are two little catchphrases that have served me well. The first is, is this really important? I have a tendency sometimes to chase unimportant agendas. And when I sense I'm doing this, I ask myself, is this really important? I can't tell you how many rabbit holes this catchphrase kept me out of. The second was a catchphrase used throughout an organization I used to work for. In fact, everyone used it. The phrase was benefit of the doubt. It meant don't blame the person. They're probably doing their best. This simple gesture helped keep relationships intact and frankly, allowed for more thoughtful analysis of what was really going on and why situations were going sideways. I'm sure there are a few managerial mantras that could serve you well, just like they have served JD and myself well. Try a few on for size and keep the ones you like in your back pocket. And with that, we conclude this episode of Conversation with a Manager. If you enjoyed this podcast and feel like others could learn from it as well, feel free to share it with your friends and colleagues. And a big thank you to our guest, J.D. Cox, for sharing some of his personal experiences as a manager. Support for this podcast comes from NRECA, the National Trade Association representing America's electric cooperatives. Driven by member feedback and engagement, NRECA's mission is to be the trusted resource, champion the cause, and inspire the future of the industry.